0: The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of our fabulous sponsors or advertisers. Any content provided by our bloggers or authors are of their own opinions and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. This disclaimer was brought to you by disclaimer template.com. Hello, my lovely, loyal listeners. This is just Miss Rose, and today. It's Thursday, January 26, 2023. I forgot to record yesterday. We had a snowstorm. I went to the dentist and then I ended up just being too tired at the end of the day to record. So I'm doing it today. Hello. <laughs> now, you know I want to take a second to thank you so much for your lovely, loyal listenership. I truly, truly appreciate each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to listen to my podcast. Now, you know, after this brief pause for the cause, we're going to jump right into today's episode of As the Massage Tip Turns. Of course, we're still down the rabbit hole and it's going to be willy nilly, whatever. All right. I love you for listening. We'll be right back. lovely loyal listeners. We are back and we are on the website, reallifecounseling.us. And this article is titled, Six Strategies to Overcome Fear and Anxiety. Anxiety Issue staff writer wrote this article. You know what it's like to be afraid of something? whether it be thunderstorms, a trip to the dentist, a stranger at your door, or losing someone dear to you. Fear is a normal reaction that warns our bodies to be careful. Anxiety is a type of fear, dealing more with worry and the future rather than fearing something that is present. When fear and anxiety become a pattern in our lives, they become a problem. If your plug drained in the kitchen sink is a problem, do you ignore it? Of course not. You call a plumber and try to fix it yourself, or try to fix it yourself. When fearfulness causes harm to your physical and mental stability, And you find yourself avoiding things that might create more fear, don't ignore it. When anxiety becomes a debilitating thing that leaves you cowering and sick, don't try to push it away. Learn how to overcome fear and anxiety. The following six steps may be your ticket to getting rid of fear and anxiety disorders in your life. Step one, learn more about your fear. The first step can be the hardest one, but it's absolutely necessary. You can't overcome a fear that remains hidden in the dusty regions of your subconscious. You must face it. When you turn your face toward a person You see that person and learn what he looks like and how he is acting. When you turn toward your fear rather than away from it, you notice things about your fear that you didn't know before. This awareness helps you overcome it. To help yourself face your fears and anxiety, try keeping a journal over a period of two or three weeks. Record any patterns you notice. Do your hands turn clammy and your stomach clenches when you hear the doorbell? Do you experience more symptoms of anxiety in the morning or the evening? What do you tend to do when your fears arise? Jot down anything that seems significant. Transferring your fear patterns and symptoms into writing can help demystify them. They're, they are no longer so big and insurmountable. Most importantly, learning all about your fear gives you an idea of how to counter it. Step two, use your imagination in positive ways. And imagination is a wonderful thing. It gives you power, creativity, and the ability to think outside the box. Unfortunately, an active imagination can be a harmful tool when it causes you to think about negative things. Your imagination can magnify your fears, making your situation seem much worse than it actually is. Instead of letting your imagination lead you down the dark corridors of fear, Purposefully use it for overcoming fear. How do you do that? Pick a calm moment when you are relaxed and not anxious. Close your eyes and imagine yourself in a situation that normally causes fear. For instance, if you are afraid of being lost in a crowded building... Picture yourself in a busy airport. Now imagine yourself handling the situation peacefully. You don't freeze and begin to cry. Instead, you search for an information desk or a sign that will help you regain your sense of direction. You imagine yourself reaching the correct parking lot, unlocking your car door, and driving safely home without any bad incidents. The peace you experienced in your imagined scenario can actually help you get through the actual ordeal more peacefully. Step three, use your brain in a different way than usual. Your fear and anxiety arise out of a certain part of your brain and they allow emotion to overcome rational thought. When you feel your fearful symptoms coming forth, try to use a different part of your brain. Think about numbers, for for instance. A nurse in the clinic might ask a patient to rate his pain on a scale of one to 10. Use this scale for your anxiety. How anxious are you when one is perfectly calm and 10 is your very worst symptom? Stop and analyze. Do you rate your fear at seven? Very good. You can work on lowering that to a four or a three. Try using the next step to lower your fear rating. Step four, focus on your breathing. Breathing is more important than you think. Usually, anxiety begins with short breaths. The short breaths cause a number of negative reactions in your body, which click quickly become an anxiety attack. The key to overcoming those fast outbreaks of anxiety is to control your breathing. Fortunately, deep breathing is not complicated. Once you have recognized that you are becoming fearful, stop and focus on your breathing. Take a breath in and then slowly let it out. Make sure your exhale is longer than your inhale. This isn't just some psychological trick. Deep breathing forces your body to physically calm itself. Step five, practice mindfulness. You've heard about mindfulness. But what exactly is it? Mindfulness is a passive thinking activity that allows you to become more aware of your fear. As you learned in step one, awareness helps you overcome your fear and anxiety. Practice these mindfulness tips during some of your less severe times of fear and anxiety. When you recognize your fear symptoms arising, Sit down and think about what is happening to you. This is like making a mental journal entry. Observe the symptoms as they arise. Don't do anything about it. Just sit and keep track of yourself as the moment continues. Being passive raises your self-awareness and it prevents you from doing the typical things you do when you experience fear. It helps you get out of a rut. Step six, use nature as your therapist. Talking to a therapist is an excellent way to work through your fears and anxiety. However, you can't always be at your therapist's office. Try going for a walk outside instead. Natural beauty found in parks, backyards, or wherever something green is growing does help reduce symptoms of fear and anxiety. Nature calms people, reducing stress levels and changing moods from anxious to relaxed. Plus, the physical activity of walking or jogging outdoors requires us to use our brains differently which can cause a switch from irrational, fearful thoughts to clearer thinking that can help overcome the fear. Would you like to know more? Our counselors at Real Life Counseling can provide real help for your for your fear and anxiety problems. Please contact us to learn more. Now, their sources were the mentalhealth.org.us, uh www.uncommonhelp.me Wellbeing and calmclinic.com Okay. And they also offer appointments, you guys. And we want to thank them, Real Life Counseling, for their lovely article, Six Strategies to Overcome Fear and Anxiety. And we'll be right back after this brief pause for the cause. Did I tell you I love you for listening? I love you for listening. We'll be right back. All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back and we are on the website Useline.com And this article is titled Signs of Gaslighting You Should Watch Out For Gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse and mental manipulation leaving you to question your reality It will make you feel you are always at fault Those who gaslight are insensitive about what your feeling is. They snub your feeling and minimize them. Feelings, always making you feel your perception is wrong. They keep cutting you off and won't let you complete. Won't let you complete what you are saying. They insist they are always right and refuse to consider your point. You feel low and lack confidence. The funds and resources for all your wellness needs line is building a safety net for women and members of the LGBTQ plus community. All right, and that's the end of that article on line. And we'll be right back. Oh, wait a minute. The name of the article was... Signs of Gaslighting You Should Watch Out For. And we'll be right back. It's time for Dictionary Definition of the Day. Today's Dictionary Definition Word of the Day brought to you by Oxford Languages is Conscience. It's an adjective, aware of and responding to one's surroundings, awake, conscious, and we'll be right back. My lovely loyal listeners, we are back and it's Friday. <laughs> Y'all, I am not kidding. <clears throat> it is literally Friday, January 27th, seventh, nineteen. It's not 19, it's 2023. <laughs> and you guys. I got one more article to read. (sighs) And this is actually Friday, again, like I said. I did start this on Thursday, but I fell asleep. I'm tired, what can I say? Walking in the snow is hard. But luckily today I got a ride to work and home, so I'm not as tired. But I am gonna finish up this Wednesday Thursday episode because you know this Thursday episode was supposed to replace my Wednesday episode but now it's Friday so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna finish out this episode and then I'm gonna record Friday's episode did I tell you I love you for listening I love you for listening we'll be right back All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are back for our last article on this episode of As the Massage Team Returns, and we are on the website Glam.com. And this article is titled, 18 Undeniable Traits of a Good Person. This was written by Robin Zabogelsky on January 22nd. 2023, 20, 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. How can you tell if someone is a good person? The concept of a good person exists in every culture all over the world, according to the Journal of Cross Culture Psychology. But there is no single definition of what makes someone a good person via ResearchGate. Each culture has its own set of characteristics that they associate with being good based on what personality traits, morals, and beliefs are valued in that culture. In cultures where people are expected to adhere to societal traditions, having respect for traditions is a trait commonly attributed to good people whereas a culture that doesn't emphasize traditions may not consider this a trait of a good person at all. However, cross-culture research has shown that there are several personality traits that are globally associated with good people. So, If you want to know if someone is really a good person, be on the lookout for these 18 personality traits. They're kind. One of the traits most commonly associated with good people is kindness. A study published in the Journal of Cross-Cultural Psychology found that kindness was consistently identified as one of the most important traits of a good person by people from multiple cultures, locations, and religious backgrounds via ResearchGate. According to Inspire Kindness, being kind means different things to different people, and kind people demonstrate their kindness in different ways. One person may demonstrate kindness by getting someone close to them a special gift, while another person may demonstrate kindness with words by giving genuine compliments or affirmations. Recognizing the emotions and needs of other people, holding space for those emotions, and meeting those needs is at the core of kindness. Dr. Marsha Sirota, a trauma and addiction expert, wrote in HuffPost that kindness is different from just being nice. She said, kindness comes from a confident, self-assured person who's truly interested in other people without ulterior motives. In contrast, being nice it's often done from an inauthentic space and is often driven by insecurity. Good people demonstrate kindness in their words and their actions simply because they want others to feel good. They're honest. One of the first lessons we learn as kids is that honesty is the best policy. But what does it mean to be what does it mean to really be an honest person? Christian B. Miller, a ph- a, ph- a, ph- a philosophy professor, who's extensively studied people's behaviors around honesty, writes in psyched that being a truly honest person goes beyond just not telling lies. Truly honest people tell the truth for the right reasons in any given situation. They don't just practice honesty when it's convenient or because they're afraid of getting caught. They're honest because it's one of their core values. Eileen V. Fishman, a therapist and founding member of the National Eating Disorder Association, NEDA is one of those people who believe that being honest is always the right answer, even when it's uncomfortable. But she also understands how difficult it can be to be truly honest. Fishman told Repeller that honesty is an art. And for telling the truth to be effective, it must be told with kindness and love at a time when it can be really hard. People who are people who truly earn the label of good have mastered this art of honesty. They don't lie because they're committed to truth telling as a way of life. But they also don't just drop harsh truths on people whenever they feel like it. They choose their moment and their words with expert precision because they're telling the truth to help you, not hurt you. They're generous. When you give someone your time, energy, resources, or a gift to make them happy, that's generosity. According to WebMD, Research has shown that humans are hardwired for generosity. In an article for Psychology Today, Tikiki Davis of the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute explained that this is because selflessly giving to others activates the parts of our brains that make us feel good, as well as the parts of our brains that are wired to foster social relationships now you guys i'm just going to stop right there for a second because this person's name is spelled t-c-h-i-k-i davis okay however the more logical parts of our brain often get in the way of our natural generosity we think about how we need our time energy and resources for ourselves So we decide not to freely give to others. Good people are the ones who decide to give their time, energy, and resources to other people in spite of the excuses their brains make. They know that regardless of how little they may have to give or how their giving is received by others, they always have something to give and they'll always be happier simply from the act of giving something to someone else they're altruistic. Being altruistic is like the next level of generosity. While generosity benefits both parties, the giver and the receiver, Erica Gordon of Circle DNA magazine explains that altruism is when people give to others even though the act of giving requires a personal sacrifice. That personal sacrifice might be your time, physical energy, emotional energy, or actual money. Regardless, you are sacrificing something of yours to benefit another person without expecting anything in return. Altruism is about truly putting the needs of others above your own. Psych Central points out that being altruistic can look a lot of different ways. Perhaps you decide to pick up trash at your local park or volunteer for a local nonprofit. Or maybe you take on the the monumental task of being a caregiver for a sick or elderly relative. But altruism can also be as simple as helping someone carry groceries to their car or paying it forward at a local coffee shop altruistic people are the ones who go a step beyond to help their fellow humans just because they know it's the right thing to do, which definitely puts them in the good people category. They're tolerant of different perspectives and beliefs. Tolerance has been at the heart of functioning societies for centuries, according to an article in Scientific American. Tolerance is just as important in our personal relationships. Unless we put a lot of effort into avoiding people who disagree with our beliefs and values, we're going to meet a lot of people who believe and value different things. To avoid being in constant conflict with others, it's crucial to practice tolerance. Good people don't just practice tolerance to avoid conflict, though. Good people practice tolerance because they truly believe that all people have a right to believe whatever they want to believe. Good people also understand that tolerance does not mean that they endorse beliefs or values they disagree with. It just means they radically accept that people believe different things than them. And good people understand that tolerance doesn't mean tolerating hate. Carl Raymond Popper, the author of The Open Society and Its Enemies, famously wrote, If we extend unlimited tolerance even to those who are intolerant, if we are not prepared to defend a tolerant society against the onslaught of the intolerant, then the tolerant will be destroyed and, and tolerance with them. So good people tolerate the beliefs of others as long as those beliefs aren't intolerant and good people stand up against intolerance to preserve tolerance. They're respectful of others. Every culture has a set of rules about how you're supposed to treat people. Each person also has their own rules about how they want to be treated based on their beliefs and values. According to Cognifit, respecting someone means treating them in ways that align with their cultural rules, your cultural rules, and their individual rules. Like tolerance, respect is at the core of interpersonal relationships. When people are treated with respect, they feel safe expressing themselves to others. When they aren't respected, this sense of safety is broken. They're likely to return the disrespect as a defense mechanism, which can lead to conflict. Good people go out of their way to be respectful of others. They follow the rules of their own culture, go out of their way to learn the rules of other people's cultures so they can follow them, And they take the time to ask people in their lives how they want to be treated. Then they follow all those rules in their interactions with others. Motivation matters to good people as well. They aren't respectful just because it makes them look good to others. They're respectful because they want people to feel safe, comfortable, and happy. They're polite. Politeness goes a step beyond respect. A person can be tolerant and respectful of someone without truly being polite. As an article in The Atlantic points out, though some demonstrations of politeness like please and thank you are constant, other behaviors that define politeness are constantly in flux. Determined by the current situation of any given place, society, or culture. What's polite in one place is insulting in another, and behaviors that used to be polite, like handshakes, abruptly became impolite when the COVID 19 pandemic hit. So, being polite requires up to date knowledge of the rituals that define politeness wherever you are and wherever the person you're interacting with is from. It's a lot to keep track of for sure, but good people go out of their way to keep track of those details and they make a concerted effort to learn when they're interacting with someone from a place, society or culture different than theirs. Even when they don't know all the rules, good people are the ones who follow the basic rules of politeness all the time. Regardless of the circumstances, good people never skip their pleases and thank yous, and they always let kindness, respect, and tolerance guide their actions. And when they don't, oh, and when they don't know how they should behave, they just ask. They're fair. In his book *Virtuous Minds*, social science expert Philip Dahl writes that being fair is not simply treating all people the same way, regardless of the context. He asserts that truly being fair is actually being committed to a search for the truth. When a person is being fair, they listen to all parties involved without judgment and don't allow their personal opinions or beliefs to get in the way of their search for the truth. However, Dow also acknowledges that objective truth is often difficult, if not impossible, to find. When objective truth is not available, a truly fair person is the one who sets aside everything they think they know so they can engage in careful, active listening to both sides of the argument. Then they evaluate the arguments for themselves to form their own opinions. The experts at the Marcula Center for Applied Ethics state that the ability to evaluate situations with fairness is at the foundation of every free society, though each society has its own ideas about what's fair and what isn't. So determining what's fair or unfair has a lot to do with the ethics of a given society. Good people practice fairness by always being willing to listen, by approaching people with curiosity and a willingness to learn, and by withholding judgment until they've evaluated all the information. They then use their ethics, morals, and beliefs to decide what they believe is right. Now, you guys, I'm looking at my timer, and I'm at 17 minutes, so I'm just going to synops up the rest of these. They're humble. I'm not even going to read that because y'all know how, how I feel about being humble. Uh, they're good listeners. Okay. They're reliable. Y'all know what reliable means. They're self-aware. Yay. Y'all see it's a lot. They take accountability. Uh, they're empathetic. And y'all know what empathy is. They practice self-restraint. I don't know what that is. (laughs) They're patient. Oh, I'm definitely not a good person because I have no patience. (laughs) They stand up for others. That's nice. They understand the power of words. And that is the conclusion of that article. You can go to Glam.com and read it for yourself because the link will be in the description. But we do want to thank the author, oops, Robin Zabo, Zabo Zabogowski, Zabogowski, anyway, it's in the description. And you guys know the rules. That's the end. That's the end. Listen, that's the end of today's episode. So this is actually Wednesday's replacement, Thursday, ended in Friday episode. <laughs> you know the rules. Don't let nobody take you from your square because you are the only you in the entire universe and nobody is doing a better job of being you then you. And don't let nobody tell you otherwise. This is Just Ms. Rose for As the Massage Table Turns. I truly appreciate your listenership. And we will talk to you in a couple of seconds. Well, it won't be a couple of seconds, but I'm going to do a Friday podcast. But remember, this is a Wednesday replacement. Thursday went to sleep and ended it on Friday. So it's a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday episode. Bye.